This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Global Leadership Platform, our leadership masterclass, multiplying leaders, moving society. Think about that slogan. That's what it's all about. I'm Adrian Grunewald, as usual, and with me, the old man. We actually haven't done a podcast together or a show together for a while. It's good to have him back. Uh, go to leadershipplatform.com for all things leadership. That's our website. And today's Leadership Masterclass is with a, a leader of a very, very well-known brand in our, in our country, Mike Elliott. Michael Elliott, the CEO of Edgar's. Mike, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, we're actually in his office with a lovely view of, I don't know, um, store facilities and, <laughs> but it's a nice view. And then the Johannesburg mine, mine dumps. dumps. Yeah. Old, old Johannesburg. Yes. So we're at the, it, it's called what the it, 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 um, Edgar Dale. Edgar Dale. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's building or? Yeah, the whole, uh, actually complex. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of the, the history. I, I, yeah. uh, I, you know, I think given that this was probably one of the first, uh, buildings and, and the core of the development in this region, the whole area is actually called Edgar Dale. As you come into the node, there's a, oh, yes. yeah. uh, it's known as Edgar Dale, but whether that's official, I'm not sure or, mm. uh, I'm not sure of the been history. It's been here for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Mike. In a moment, we're going to talk about leadership, how you view good or great leadership, authentic leadership. Uh, it's almost a, a master lesson, although some people don't like the word master lesson because we're all learning, uh, and, and you never become a master maybe at leadership. Before we go there, just quick introduction about you. You've got an interesting background from sort of formal accounting to there's some, some entrepreneurialism in there, and now there's corporate, real corporate, big giant, EdCon. So it's a, it's an interesting spectrum of leadership background. But two minutes on your background, your history. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I uh, I started the journey as a as a chartered accountant. I, I qualified and, and worked with Ernst and Young. I was with them for seven odd years. Um, five, I think, of those in audit and two in uh, consulting. Um, and, and then took a 180-degree turn and acquired a, a, a 30% interest in Nachi Clothing, which at the time was a, a single-store retail business. Mm. Uh, uh, had been started by a hus- husband and wife team, both of them creatives, and so they brought me on to kind of manage everything other than creative. And, and so... Uh, an interesting journey in, uh, through building that brand into the leading children's wear brand in South Africa, a specialty children's wear brand, and then we sold it to a private equity firm and, and, and were integrally involved in the launching of that into the U.S. So it was a very, very interesting journey with uh, multiple aspects of uh, learning. Um, and, and then after that, I, uh, I ended up joining uh, Italian multinational, Luxotica, which uh, for those who are not familiar with the brand, the corporate brand, and many aren't, it's the owner of Oakley, Ray-Ban, and, and a number of um, uh, eyewear brands, leading eyewear brands globally, but also vertical. So they have a, a large retail business, and Sunglass Hut was the key eyewear or sunglass brand. And, and I ended up running that and rebuilding the brand here in South Africa. And then in the last few years had a uh, regional role covering Middle, Middle East, India, and Africa. So also uh, a, a, a corporate role with interest because running a smaller market, but also dealing with a broader region and the complexity of a uh, Italian-style management structure and philosophy, which was a very mm. interesting few years. And then ended up joining Edgar's 
and been here for 11 months. Sure. So very, it's, it's an interesting career. Um, and, and all that seemed to have prepared you for this, this job. Uh, well, I guess every job prepares us for the next one. So congratulations on getting Edgar's. And, uh, are you, how you, have you enjoyed the first 11 months? Yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, the way I describe it, a number of people have asked me and I, I, I kind of describe it as retail nirvana, uh, in terms of the kind of, uh, professional and intellectual challenge that goes with it. Um, it's certainly materially tougher gig than I'd ever anticipated. I, I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but it's, uh, you know, the challenges were materially more challenging than I realized they would be. But I guess that, that adds to, you know, the professional nirvana that I speak to in terms of the, the scale of the challenge and, and, and also the complexity of the business. Uh, you know, you kind of forget that when you walk into a mall, um, Edgar's as a brand almost completes, competes with every single retailer in that mall. Obviously, there's a couple of exceptions uh, around food retailers and, and some specialty areas. But, I mean, probably 80% of the mall you're competing against. And so mm. um, that's, a, that's a number of businesses and categories, and it's a complexity that one sometimes doesn't fully appreciate until you start trying to manage them all. Well, we, uh, so, so after our leadership conversation, we'll, we'll look a little bit more at that, the challenges you're facing in leading in the retail industry. Of course, you're now part of the Edcon group, which is going through a tough time, but it seems like there's a turnaround happening. So Grant Patterson coming on not long ago. So it's an interesting environment that you find yourself in. But let's go there a little bit later. I've, I've got uh, just a spontaneous list that you've put down in terms of how you would define or the kind of attributes and skills and, and so on that a leader would need to be a great leader. And I'm going to just run through them quickly, and then we'll discuss all or some of them. Um, so the first one you put here, self-aware, which we'll look at in a, in a moment. Then humble, authentic, ethical, care what others think but don't fear it. That's an interesting one I look forward to looking at, to discussing. Passionate about what you do. Transparent and provide feedback. Always have the tough conversation. Forever molding developing people and investing in teams, relentlessly networking, good listeners, have strong, well-supported opinion, but prepared to change. Maybe that goes a lot with humility as well. And then the last one was strive to make themselves expendable. So let's, I mean, self-aware, if we look at the first one, self-aware is an interesting one. I think almost every leadership program that leaders go on these days often start with the self-awareness element the mindfulness aspect and so on. But give us your take on self-aware. Yeah, so I, I mean the move towards IQ, from IQ to EQ, I think has been kind of well documented in, in leadership thinking over the last while. Uh, and, and certainly it's a journey that I've embraced and, and believe in. So it really does go to that concept of, uh, of, of uh, emotional intelligence. Um, uh, and uh, you know more and more so the the thinking that successful organizations are not uh, not built around one individual and and so you know i think those that are are are, are into self are, are never going to be good leaders and and in today's world it, it it's it's really about understanding also what uh, 
what that means. So, mm. uh, you know, a real strong self-awareness, I think, is, is really critical. Yeah, it's not self-absorbedness yeah. or self-focus. or it's, it's an interesting conversation because mm. self-aware must not become self-absorbed. Yes. But knowing my weaknesses, my strengths, that's the old, old adage, um, how, what are my, my strengths and weaknesses regarding EQ, I guess, mm. more so than um, that's how you can then build your team around you when you're self-aware. Yeah, and I often put it in another way. I, you know, I have this philosophy that every single human being has insecurities. Every single human being, even the most robust, strongest leader in terms of how someone might be perceived. I, I just think human nature is such that people have insecurities, and very often we spend our life just trying to mask those with other types of behavior. And I think uh, in that, uh, that EQ journey, this was a key learning for me in terms of, A, how I manage myself as a leader, but B, how I manage other people. It's really understanding every person's insecurity and how that's manifesting itself in terms of behavior and, and, and impact on team and ability to be uh, effective. Oh, and, and, and so that's kind of the core of where that comment comes from. I always say, you know, having done a, a, a finance degree and then having electives that one could kind of do as additional things, I ended up doing mathematics one and, and things like that, which, to be honest, uh, and statistics, to some extent, were that useful. But maths, not very useful to one's life. One should have done psychology. Hmm. Well, yeah, the, the superficiality of psychology to a large degree is just so, that's the kind of route I went. Only later do you realize some things, but, um, I mean, we could have a whole sh- discussion just on self-aware. It's, it's just so powerful. Uh, again, if you can get someone that you lead to that point where they're willing to share their insecurity, mm. uh, never mind they know what it is. Some people are running away from it so, so fast that they don't even know what their own insecurities are, but we all have them. Mm. And as a leader, if I feel I can make myself vulnerable enough to tell you this is my insecurity, mm. um, but I know you trust my capability and my expertise and so on. Old man, do you want to say something about it before we move on to the next one? Mark, we years of experience and hundreds of conversations and hundreds of articles we've published bears out exactly what you say. Would you, though, give an idea how you would suggest people... Uh, embark on that course of increasing. Remember, it's understanding your insecurity, but uh, it's what you find below this insecurity, that inner authentic confidence, that makes a person a great. What would you suggest for your people to do to do that? You, you, my suggestion in terms of people that are becoming, on my teams? Becoming, that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think the comment that Adrian made is it, it starts with the leader. So, you know, if one's prepared to be vulnerable and, and share that, it, it kind of creates the tone and leads from front. So, you know, I've always tried to incorporate that into how I build the team and how we, we engage as a team. Uh, I've always been a big believer in, in a regular cadence of, um, 
uh, interaction and in that regular cadence of interaction having time setting time it's setting time aside so generally what i've tried to do is a day a quarter where where one invests time in this kind of conversation and this kind of uh, leadership development uh, and for me the key is i need to set the tone so to adrian's point one's got to be prepared to be somewhat vulnerable yourself uh, and uh, and then i think you know the the team will then uh, embrace that journey and it's amazing it's amazing how sometimes that can run it's been at times uh, phenomenally powerful in terms of the way that runs thanks mike mm. all right the second point you raise as a good leader is humble maybe we can move through this one fairly fast um, there's always a time constraint but yet an important one i've had people say oh no the world doesn't want to hear the word humble it wants to hear teachable or skirt around the edges of humble and I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, you know, humility more and more, I think, is being seen as a strength, not a weakness. Something quickly on that? Yeah, I, I just think, uh, and a lot of this goes to, you know, people who think title creates the man uh, or, 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 the, or the leader. Uh, is is totally misplaced. So, you know, I've always taken a philosophy as, as I've got more responsibility or more power or more title, uh, I'm more focused on making sure that my feet stay on the ground and I'm just another human being. I'm the same human being I was last year or five years ago or ten years ago and, and that I'm just a person. And, and often, you know, I go into a store and, and I see someone shaking or that's like they, they're treating you with some kind of... Uh, um, uh, Royalty. Royalty. And I'm kind of, sorry, stop. Mm. I'm just another person. I'm asking you, just take a breath, be calm. It's just another human being. I'm having a conversation. And, uh, and, and sometimes one can forget that. But I think trying to find a way to stay in that space and not ever let it believe that because of role, title, or position, you're something out is being, is being a key part of, of what I've tried to do. And, and that goes to how you engage in, in the office, how you engage in a store, how you engage at a conference or an event that you run with teams and people. And it's just been a key part of, of what I've tried to bring to my leadership and, 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 and try and inspire and whoever works with me in terms of doing the same. It's one thing to say to people, calm down. I mean, I'm just a person like you, but every other a- action of the leader shows otherwise. Every yeah. other action the way you treat others, the way you just fire two people because they opposed you or whatever the case may be, doesn't show that I must be calm and relaxed in front of you, Mr. Leader. So it's an interesting one, that. But, man, I, I firmly believe that a leader's title is often his or her greatest enemy. Yeah. Because people treat you differently simply mm. because of that title mm. and what it represents. And, and that results in the leader not fully finding out what the heck is going on. Mm. Everyone puts forward a different front and a different foot just to, for whatever reasons, their own insecurities. So it's a dangerous thing, this title that we have as leaders. Mm. Um, all right, any other quick comments about humility before we go to yeah, being authentic? Adding um, a mindset of being vulnerable, Mike, which you, you reflect here, is a vital element of being humble. Uh, I don't like people say, I'm a humble person, because humble people normally don't say that, yeah. but they're constantly striving to be, and being uh, open and being vulnerable is a vital part of that. And it just draws people in, doesn't it? So we appreciate the point. Uh, and the other piece that I would hand, you know, that kind of goes somewhat hand in hand with that is being prepared to say, you know, we've, we've made a mistake or I've cocked up or, you know, 
being to acknowledge the fact that uh, you're imperfect and you're not going to get it right all the time is, is, is part of that, that too. I always say, you know, don't, don't hide bad news. Just share it up front. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, um, uh, you know, it was one of the things transitioning from an entrepreneurial and business environment into a, into a corporate environment where you kind of, that's part of your DNA. If you're in a partnership with others, you just, hey, we've got a problem here. Uh, and I've always carried that into in a corporate role. And some people have looked at me like I'm nuts. You know, you don't do that. So, well, it's just the way I do it. <laughs> All right. The next principle is authentic. Great leaders are authentic. Quick comment on that one. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of crossover with what's gone before, I think. You know, I think with with some of the things we've just spoken about, it's 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 just about being real and, and being oneself and never trying to put up a facade or be something different to 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 what's inside. And it's it's trying to stay the person that you always always were. Uh, and, but also just being, uh, you know, genuine about, you know, feedback. I talk about feedback or, or genuine in behavior and, and not trying to put up a, a facade that someone is something different to, to that core person. And I think people who do that always get caught out. Uh, it's, 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 it's impossible to, uh, to play act or, or behave in a, in a deliberate manner that's not your core manner for a period of time. And then, and then people start losing trust. Yeah. And so I think you build a lot of trust by just being the person you are. And sometimes that can be a little gnarly or, uh, uh, and, and certainly at times one's got to manage behavior. So, you know, there's aspects that I've learned over the years in my, in understanding self that are behaviors that are destructive. So you try and manage them, but often they burst forward. And when you have a conversation with, some, with, with, with people on the team, they say, no, that's, it's fine because you're being authentic. And every now and again, it's fine. So we, we understand who you are, and we almost understand when you're trying to manage that. So it's, you know, I think it's, it's really important. Yeah, the whole authentic conversation, there's a big drive out there for authentic leadership, uh, finding who you are, remaining true to that, behavior matching your intentions, behavior matching your promises, all those things. It leads to ethical as well. I'm, I'm wanting to skip some of these, and, and I thought, okay, ethical is obvious. Let's move to the next one. But in today's world, gee whiz, you look at all the corporate blunders and so on. I think it is obvious. We don't have to have a long, have a long conversation about great leaders are ethical. But, but more important now than ever before, the political environment that does not at all demonstrate that. The corporate environment more and more seems to be a spin-off from that, although you've got great pockets of excellence. Just something you want to say on that, land that one quickly? Yeah, I, I take uh, being ethical a little bit beyond just what the obvious would come forward, you know, in terms of not being dishonest, you know, I think it goes further to things like just doing what you say you're going to do. Uh, you know, even that goes to being an ethical leader in my view and, and, and really, uh, you know, again, I try and build that into teams. It's, you know, and, and sideways, you know, as an organization, always just do what you say you're going to do and, and, um, and do it in the way we as a team say we, you know, we want to do things. So it goes beyond just, uh, you know, un- the traditional form, of, you know, form of unethical behavior in my view. Yeah. I would just mention, um, it's important, we love, uh, patterns and essences, you know, all the years of the conversations. But if you tie these four together, Arjun, uh, self-awareness, humility, uh, being authentic and ethical, actually, all of these are extension of a certain understanding of self-awareness, 
of who you really are, being true to yourself. And this is when a person starts being spontaneous and prepared to be vulnerable. Why? And so these tie in very closely. It's a way of defining it in a way that's understandable. Uh, I, I like that, I submit. Yeah, you touched on a sensitive point that we do live in a society where um, small things like being late and not delivering by the time you say you will, it, it honestly is just common practice. And, and, if, and if you challenge someone about that, you're seen as, as oh, come on, chill, you know, do this. Or just, it's, it's frustrating. Some personality types blend with that much easier and other personality types are, you know, not, not so worried about, about that specific principle. But we need to bring those small things back. Tough, busy lifestyles, busier than ever before, lots of things happening, but yet we have access to tools that can say, I'm going to be five minutes late or 20 minutes late. We've got that access, you know. All right. I'm interested in this one, all of them, but the, the, the fifth one is care what others think, but don't fear it. I used to say don't care what others think, but care about others. It's probably playing in the same space, but I don't think that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying care what others think. But don't fear it. Expand? Yeah, so I, and this has probably been a bit of a personal journey that I've gone through, perhaps being in, in one of my vulnerabilities and weaknesses in behavior is, is, is often doing things with a view to kind of ticking the box of what others might think of me. So it's that self-affirmation thing, yeah. which, which really is, uh, you know, it's, 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 for me, that's not what it's about. It's about doing the right thing and getting the right result. Not what, about, you know, it's not about the the person. So, you know, it's it's something I've acknowledged in myself. So, it, and the journey of that has gone to where, you know, you, you've got to get to that space where where it's it's part of who I am. So I I behave in a well in a world where it's important. I do I do worry about what people think, but at the same time, as a leader, often you're going to have to get to a space, make tough decisions, uh, and make tough calls that you know might negatively reflect on that, so you don't fear the outcome. So you're just aware of that. So I've, I've built that into my thinking of being aware of what my decisions and behaviours, how it impacts others, and what they think of me. But I've got over the po- I've got to the point where in, in in building that into my leadership style, I don't fear it anymore. Whereas mm. in the early years of my journey, I, it used to impact the way I behave because, and that's not the right way to be. I didn't just mention. It's ma- that's maybe a personal reflection on my own leadership more than a. We, anyway, yeah. we identify with it, Mike. Um, we often helping people understand themselves fully. Um, analyze what the personal drivers are. People have unique drivers and that actually dominates your philosophies without realizing it. Now many people have a personal driver of pleasing people. Now if you don't um, think of that what it, sh- what it should be from a chip point of view, this is what you evolved into, then pleasing people can do a lot of harm out there because you always want to tick the box, please people. But when you understand how do you really please people, by really being genuine, helping them and not condoning that which is wrong, otherwise not fearing them not accepting you, then you start maturing, and that's where your driver becomes mature. You can still please people, but you're actually helping people. One example I had recently where this person was helping everybody, and he couldn't do his job. So when he understood the principle, he started uh, coming with a problem. He says, now tell me, what are you going to do about it? And so he, he really has changed a lot in understanding how to please people. 
to serve them properly. So this is what you've evolved, evolving into. Yeah, and in my situation, it might not have been about pleasing people, actually. It might have just been uh, how people would perceive. So there might be environments where mm. the thought process might be, you know, I've got to look to be tough here. Uh, and, and so I might make a decision that makes me look Stay. tough because the expectation is in this situation you need to be a leader who's tough and ruthless. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and I might take a view where I'm going to be compassionate and not tough and ruthless, mm-hmm. and people will look at me and go, hmm, here's a leader, but he's, he's not ruthless and tough enough. Mm-hmm. And so it can go many ways. Yeah. You know, it's much deeper than that. It's, 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 it's really about... You know, one can often easily read what the expectation is and start ba- behaving in a way just to meet that expectation. But I think really good leaders will get beyond mm. what people think and be able to make decisions regardless and, and, and not fear that it's going to – in fact, you might know that it's going to cause a reaction that people would would uh, question. Well, your other point is yeah. never avoid, you know, kind of uh, the difficult yeah. – Okay, let's let's go there. Um, but again, if you're self-aware and you're humble and you're authentic and ethical, then it plays to that exact point. You will not look for ticking the box, uh, but do what the situation requires, based on just who you are and what the business is, and just drilling down to the essence of what's needed at that moment. The next one, passionate about what they do. That is one thing I pick up about great leaders: is there's a there's a passion. There's an energy. Uh, they're in awe of what they're doing and, and, and the opportunities and everything. You know, there's just this, this energy. So do you want to say much about that one? Yeah, I think that's almost obvious. If, you, you know, if you're not really feeling the love for what, you do, what you're doing, don't do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I've often said to my wife, I'm really fortunate though, because, you know, what I've chosen to do professionally uh, you know, I, I, uh, I think I can count on one hand the number of days I've woken up and kind of had a little pit in my stomach feeling, oh, I don't really feel like going to work today. Literally one hand in my entire life, I've always been really passionate and loved what I've, what I've done. It just doesn't happen in my, and, and I think that's core, uh, that's a key element of what's made me successful because I just have always felt really passionate about A, the job of work I do, but B, the businesses and brands that I've worked for. But what percentage of people, let's say at Etcon or in, in NetBank or in most large corporates or in the entire employment market can say that? Honestly, are passionate about what they do. Yeah. Too few. It's way, sad. Way too few, yeah. And, and if you take a big corporate, you could probably, if you did massive research, uh, find that by far more than 50%, 60 70 80% people happen there by chance. And, and they, 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 they don't experience what you said. That's partly why you rose to the top, if we can use that for a moment, the word top. Uh, that helps. But um, some people are happy just being merchants. They love buying and, you know, getting the clothes out there. Uh, and, and therefore, they are passionate about what they do. They don't necessarily want to be the CEO. But too few people. It's a sad society we live in. And it's difficult to lead those sort of people. When you're passionate and you can't understand, why, why don't you love what you do? Go find something else. Then you're in an economy that's a mess. So most people feel I can't go to where I want to do what I want to do because the opportunities are, are few and far between. It's a very interesting it's – it's an obvious thing, but it's, it's common sense is not always common practice. Yeah, and the statistics, actually, when I, when I say statistics, I, I mean where I would look to measure that is through engagement surveys. Wow. Um, you know, and, 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 and I think the, the, the read is clear. The larger the organization, generally the lower the engagement is. 
And, uh, you know, if you're achieving engagement rates at 70%, that's incredibly high. And so that's, that's quite a scary that's thought a nice that point. high 70% of people are passionate or would, you know, enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. I, I, do, um, I, I do believe, though, that we can't just accept it as being obvious. I think it's a very important point because passion drives. Uh, if you, if we should ask you, Mark, what attribute would you most like to share with all your people that will make them better leaders? Then that passion is probably one of them. That would be one of them, yeah. Because that just gives you the drive. Now, mm. I just want to mention that a person who's passionate needs a certain harmony of other attributes. And the, one of the reasons why people are not passionate is because there's so much dysfunctional elements in themselves in terms of understanding themselves and, and they're doing things for the wrong reason and doing things because of social or politically correct such. But a real passionate person is often an integrated personality and psychologists will confirm that as well. So it's something we can assume you have or not. I don't think we should just assume we can help people develop passion if we help them become more integrated within themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And especially with all the other attributes. Let's come back to transparent and provide feedback. I, I always have the tough conversation. Uh, people think if you're the president of a country or you're the CEO of a business, how easy can it be? Surely all those individuals at those kind of levels don't have a problem with that one. But I remember sitting with Jacob Zuma, and he had a problem with that. And if he had confronted certain issues earlier, he wouldn't have had a Malema and an EFF and and I'm not asking you to comment on this, but but uh, even at that top, it comes back to your comment. I'm just like you. I'm a normal human being. It's difficult for me to also have the tough conversations. So all leaders can le learn from this specific point. Take us through it. Uh, always have the tough conversations. Yeah, and transparent feedback, by the way. So you know, I'll start with that point first. It's 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 not just always about the negative. It's the positive and the negative. I you know I think. Uh, culturally and organiza organizationally, too many businesses don't spend enough time just on simple appreciation of positive feedback. Um, you know, that can be many times a day, just simple, you know, just simple statements in meetings that can continue to provide positive feedback. So for me, that's about positive and negative. But certainly the, the tough feedback conversations are important, and, and my view is never let them fester. Have them immediately, even if, they, uh, even if they're crude. Uh, my view is the longer you leave, leave them, the less likely they are to happen, and often the, less, the more diluted they become. So you know, even at a senior level, I, I will finish a meeting where something didn't happen right, and I feel there's a bit of feedback. I'll ask someone to stay in back, and I'll just say just some feedback in this meeting didn't like that uh, line of thinking. It felt it was destructive or, or, or not positive to the team dynamic. It would have been better to share it in this way, but really regular. So I'm not one of, uh, I've never been one for monthly catch-ups, uh, a routinely structured monthly catch-up with people who report into me. In my view is there's an issue, have you got five minutes, walk across, let's have a conversation and, and have them in the moment. It's always been... Um, and, and sometimes those are tough, and, and, and I always like to base them in fact. But sometimes, even if you don't have the fact, just to couch it is to say, this is my perception. Uh, the facts might not support, but I'm sitting with this perception, and, and so I'm giving it to you. It'll help you get to the facts. Probably. Exactly, yeah. So I, I prefer just to, as I say, have them very much in the moment and always being 
to time way, uh, yeah. as fast as possible, as direct as possible, possible. honest as possible, factual as possible, oh, yeah. but have them. But have them. Oh, yeah. no, systematic training tells you go to regular meetings. Uh, that probably applies to a point. Um, but I found our case, we've been working together, Mike, for many years. And, you know, uh, my logic tells me you've got to have a firm meeting to threshold because I'm very creative and he wants to, he's very uh, project-oriented, etc. But we found that he phones me and then within five or ten minutes we have a highly creative, frank conversation. And I feel fully uh, in, in community with him all the time. Uh, so formal meetings are really necessary from that point of view. If you've got the ability to... to uh, tackle it at the moment. I think that's a very, very powerful point, Arjun. I mm. like that. Mm. I, uh, let's move on to the next point, but let me just say this. I don't think you can be a great leader, certainly not a very influential leader, if you cannot have the tough conversations. Yeah. Can't be. Forever molding, developing people and investing in teams. Take us through that one. Yeah, so I, uh, and, and this applies, the bigger and bigger an organize, the organization you run, the more critical this becomes. Uh, you, you know, um, I always, I always say to my, to my, my wife, 80% of what I do is, is build people and manage teams. And it's a continually, uh, fluid situation. Um, and, and so that's from many aspects. It's from, uh, development conversations, continually assessing is the organizational structure right to support the strategy one's driving? Um, are the people in the right roles? Uh, have we given the people the right level of responsibility? Are we, are we allocating responsibilities in the right way? Are they clear who's responsible for what? Um, you know, are we investing enough in, in developing people from, from an emotional intelligence and a professional exposure point of view? Um, are we managing poor performance uh, in the right way? Are we bringing, uh, have we set ourselves up for people to develop and grow and build career paths? So the, the whole aspect of talent management and, and, and people development for me is just fundamental. Uh, you know, I'm as good as the, you know, as, as the leader of a big organization, organization. I am quite simply as capable as the people who work for me uh, or b able to perform purely based on how people uh, uh, through the organization are, are able to deliver and perform. So it's, 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 the, it's the fundamental key to success. Uh, and, and that leads into the next point that I had there is around continually, continually networking. Relentlessly, relentlessly networking. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I do that probably every day of my life. I'm networking or... Uh, connecting with people who may be able to add value to organization, who could keep a talent pipeline full. Uh, you, you know, I, I, and, and that's at a senior level or a junior level. I, uh, I, I mean, I just had a recent example. I was in the gym ordering dinner and, uh, at, at the cafe and, uh, the, the lady who was, um, behind the till point kind of, uh, just lit up my day. And when she came across and handed me an uh, unprompted loyalty card, I said, and I'm going to swap cards. And I gave her my business card and said, if you, you know, if you want to start a career in retail, give me a call. And lo and behold, two days later, she called me and, and now you she's interviewing that, so. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's at that level right through to just every aspect of building people within an organization. I, I, uh, I, I, 
bring bring the word passion back. I'm passionate about it. So it's it's Can something it. I try and do every day. Yeah. Can sense it. Mm. And, and as you say, this business, it's the people. Mm. So if you don't feel passionate about that point, you've got a problem. Sure. So well done. Good listeners. Great leaders are good listeners. Isn't that the, the worst skill in our society? Kids yeah. don't feel listened to. Then they don't feel listened to by teachers. Then they go to varsity. They don't feel listened to by lecturers. Then they go to work and they're not listened to by their bosses. And, and in the end, we're a whole society who will never listen to. And then we act up in different ways. I know I'm dramatizing, but, yeah. but good listening is such a weakness in our society. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's difficult. Uh, you know, I list it. Uh, but I, you know, I'd probably not rate myself as one of the best listeners. You know, I have peaks and valleys, and often when when the stress and pressure is on, is where you become often. Uh, you know, your listening skills deteriorate, and that's when you need them most. Um, so it, uh, I think it's critical, but it's a it's a tough one. And 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 again, the more, the more you progress. Uh, through leadership roles and the more title and the more, you know, the size of the business grows, the, the less inclined you sometimes can become to listen properly. And it's a, it's a really important skill. Uh, and it's not just with your ears. It's with your eyes. Um, uh, it's with every, all, all your senses in terms of being aware of what's going on in a room and, and reading body language and all kinds of layers of listening that I think are are really, really important in, 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 as I say, being a good leader. Marco, we were interviewing not too long ago a, a man who headed a um, massive organization of 60,000 employees and a tremendous record, but he was kind of at the retirement stage of his career. So I didn't ask him, what would you do differently? He immediately said, I would listen more, confirming. So the one core lesson he would learn to, he must listen. But there's a lot of wisdom attached to that, of course. Well, I, I feel like expanding on this one, but we've, we've got more exciting things to cover. Perhaps just a quick comment. Uh, the more comfortable I am with myself, the less I can focus on myself and focus on others. And I think a lot of leaders miss that point. So the self-aware thing, coming back to point number one today, getting to know ourselves the next point you've got here in terms of being a great leader is have strong, well-supported opinion, but prepared to change. We can loop that back to humble as well, but a lot of the other points. Quick comment on that one? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of richness in some of those words. When I say well-supported, you can go to you know well-researched, spend a lot of time reading, uh, spend a lot of time listening before you, 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 you formulate opinions. But I, I think it goes without saying that uh, as you progress and you, and you get into more senior leadership, I mean, you're going to have to have an opinion. You have to be able to formulate an opinion and, and, and believe in it and stick with it. But uh, the key element is you can't be so dogmatic that you're not prepared to listen to other opinion and, and ultimately be prepared to make a change. And it, again, you know, uh, acknowledge that maybe you got this one wrong and, and, and go in a different direction now. I think it's good results on great debate and great outcomes as opposed to, you know, things need to be debates, not arguments or trying to prove one's opinion. It's trying to get beyond that and being able to uh, debate an issue with really good input and come away with the best result. That's the ultimate. It's not about winning the fight and getting, pushing your, your, uh, your opinion through. Maybe the challenge sometimes, Mike, is that the leader is often the one in the room who's given it the most thought. Yep. Ironically. And, and sure, you've got experts in certain fields, your HR exec, your finance exec, and, 
and, and one would expect that they have given certain elements more thought. But I find often the leader is the one who's given it the most thought. So, so your opinion is strong, and then others expect, well, you, to show your humility, you must just take what others say and go with it, and, and that's not how it works. Yeah, if you cycle back to the point about building good teams, mm. um, you know, my view is that shouldn't be the case because you should have people on your team that are really experts in their field and are often, you know, much stronger you, than you in, in different areas. I, I, I think, yeah. you know, a good leader is not afraid of bringing people onto the team that potentially are much stronger. Uh, you know, certainly in, in certain subject matters and, and never intimidated to bring someone in who's, you know, might have more experience than you in bringing them into a team. I think that's a key thing. So if you're building a team right, then you shouldn't be in that situation where you necessarily think you're always better researched or have a stronger view than others. Right. And yet, Mike, your term, uh, the result of great debates. So often um, the great debates, it leads to new inspiration or new revelation or concept as well preferably with some experts around you but uh, the idea of avoiding great debates because you functionally want to get things done is where you can uh, really avoid great uh, new understandings not so interesting thing though is sometimes it's a a, are we going to start smaller stores so it's not a finance thing or an HR thing or a a, a building management It's it's a general strategic decision and then the leader has given that more thought. If it's a pure finance thing, you really expect your finance expert to have given that more thought than even yourself. It's an interesting thing, though. Leaders, man, they thinkers all the time. They're not lazy thinkers. The last point you've got here is great leaders strive to make themselves expendable. I think that one is obvious. And we certainly need that in the political realm and in the corporate world. Um, yeah, you know, that's a, a very valiant statement in, in a shrinking economy. <laughs> but... Uh, those leaders I've met who have truly have that view, there's always something waiting for them. Just the world gives them more because, just because they've tried to do that. Yeah, and I, and I, uh, I think you have a shelf life in terms of the quantity of fresh and new idea that you can bring to organisations. I, I truly do. I, I you know, I think. Uh, um, y- I, I just think there's a there's a pool of fresh thought and idea, and that dwindles over time. And, and one's got to be prepared to bring through fresh bread, and you've got to be able to bring that up so organisations aren't independent on on one individual. I think that's for the person at the top and people within organi- within teams. You know, it's about having this ready pipeline of talent to fill positions, so that if you lose any one key, the organisation doesn't suffer. Um, but it really goes to this this keeping an organisation fresh. I mean, I think particularly in retail, the one constant, the one thing that will never change is change itself. Uh, and as soon as retail environments, uh, retail brands are not changing, they're dead, in my view. Yeah, and so change is the one constant. And, and, and that's from strategy to store to merchandise to leadership. Uh, and so one's got to be building the ability to allow that change to happen. Uh, I, I truly believe. And that change might mean you move into a broader role, a chairmanship or a, or a, or a group role or a, or a board role or, or outside the organization. But I just think it's important that there's this, this, this um, organic uh, evolution. Mike, all these great leadership principles, tell me an average Edgar store manager will have how many staff, employees, approximately? 
shrinks a bit, I guess, and so on. But yeah, so we've got from so the size of a, the average. I can't tell you off the top. I'll tell you the sure. top and the bottom. You yeah. know, uh, because we have such a diverse uh, mix in terms of size of store. Uh, but you, you know, your smaller stores are probably running with about twenty-four, twenty-eight people. They're very smaller stores. Uh, but your biggest stores are up to two hundred and eighty. Yeah, it's a big. So business. it's a big business. You know, it's a big business. Uh, top store manager is running a, a big team of people. So whether I'm running a smaller store, twenty-four employees or two hundred employees, how do you practically? And we can't go through all of these send a message to them of how to live these principles. So, for example, always have a tough conversation. How do you see a store manager doing that, and what are they, what do they shy away from? I mean, some have strong, well-supported opinion. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at this list, and I'm thinking it is universal enough for a store manager not to sit back and say, well, those things apply to Mike and to Grant and to you know, um, Urine and all those oaks, but, but not to me. I wouldn't agree with that. But practically, give me one or two practical examples. If, if I'm looking at an audience now of my store managers, this is what I'd like to see in you. Yeah, yeah so I, it's funny, I've been through a journey. I, I, I used to be a conference skeptic or cynic, a total conference cynic. And I've done a full 180 degrees on, 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 on conferences, uh, you know, as long as they are not just a, uh, a party and a death by PowerPoint. You know, I think conferences serve an incredibly important purpose in uh, in in building and disseminating key messages around culture and values, but on around leadership and leadership development. You know, very often it's all just been about um, delivering kind of key operational business messages. Uh, and yes, you need to do a certain amount of that. But I just think conferences become really important in building culture and 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 sharing leadership philosophy. And, and you can do that very effectively by bringing you know a group of leaders. You get 250 leaders. That's a lot of people who can take that message and then cascade it if you do it in the right way. So I, I, I think that's an important mechanism. And then also one's got to build the structures in terms of train the trainer and building these deliberate interventions through the organisation. So. I, I, it's doable, and, and you one's got to do it through mechanisms like that. Mm. Uh, and, and the philosophy for me is always it's not got to be through training and delivery. It's through demonstration. Uh, and it's how in those environments you, you run an event and demonstrate those firsthand. I think people really uh, copy behavior they observe as opposed to implement um, things they are told. Yeah, because the way a manager is going to confront a, a reportee is the way that person's probably going to confront another one or have a tough conversation with them. So that's where things die. You know, the theory is one thing, but in the end you come back home, back to the business, and you learn from the leaders on the job as opposed to in a classroom or at a university or some course. Put your mic closer, please, old man. Audience, uh, right I've only done a couple hundred times, Mike, so <laughs> eventually the penny will drop. Uh, I read a nice article the other day about uh, differentiating between communicating and teaching. And when you use the word demonstrating, it actually that's just a way of teaching rather than presentation as such, because once you start teaching, you start communicating. And he mentioned some incisive thoughts on what would be a good teacher from that point of view. And this is exactly what you're saying, I would say. Mm. Teach the strategy, don't communicate it. That's just an article I, I wrote. 
Yeah, and it and it goes beyond just teaching. It's demonstrating. Yeah. You know, it's 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 been very yeah. deliberate about how you behave in an environment, and 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 as I say, as I think, people copy behavior. Yeah. As opposed to execute what they're told to execute, that gets yeah. lost very quickly. Very quickly. Who you are. Make and, and, and that's, I think, that's what came out in the article I shared with you. But uh, you authenticate what you teach by how you behave and how you act. And great teachers uh, are ultimately the ones who live what they teach. So you can teach the strategy, but do you live it? You can teach the values, do you live it? Mike, the the the, the retail industry and and your industry, particularly fashion, and can have a romantic element to it. But it's tough, no doubt. No industry is, is exempt from being tough at the moment. Just tell us what the industry is like, how challenging, what it's like re- leading this, this brand. Uh, you spoke about it very early on in the conversation. Just a few minutes to, as we head towards the end of our, uh, our chat today on leadership. What are the challenges you're facing? I was touched by, if I go to Menlin, Edgar's is there, but man, all the clothing stores around and and everything happening there, you, you, you compete with 80% of those stores. So that's one challenge you definitely face. But what's it like? It's, it's fashion that surely a lot of people dream to be in this industry. Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, I think people often, it has got a, uh, a panache and sexiness and, and, and appeal. I, I think it's often very misunderstood in terms of how challenging and complex it is. Uh, you know, I always encourage someone who wants to get into fashion to go and, uh, you know, walk the supply pipeline and go and see what's involved in, in designing a garment and getting a sample made and getting fabric knitted and, and almost walk through the entire supply pipeline. And, and one realizes the complexity of what goes into just producing a single garment, never mind doing a number of hundred thousand, you know, different garments every single year. You know, it's a... It's relentless because you have to reinvent your, you know, you have a product that has to be changed and redesigned literally every single item every single year. I mean, there's a handful in a, in a fashion business that might be core replenishment, but not many. It's tiny. And so, you know, inherently it's a, it's a really tough environment. But, you know, if you just look at the, the environment we face internally, I, I think it's well documented that uh, our business has been through a lot of uh, internal struggles, which uh, um, which have uh, destroyed a lot of value in terms of people, uh, in terms of uh, structures and systems and morale, and just every aspect would have been um, in 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 some way negatively impacted. So we we're having to 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 fight those and fix those and turn those. Um, but then the general environment is as tough as hell. I mean, it's a tough economic environment. Um, uh, the consumer's been hit by all kinds of uh, economic challenges that have set that set them back, increasing fuel prices, uh, VAT increases, uh, economy that's not growing. I mean, there's just not one single external factor that's uh, that's helping the consumer. Change in credit legislation, uh, and, and then when you look at the competitive environment, you know we operate in an environment that's incredibly competitive. Uh, the South African uh, retail environment and fa- particularly fashion retailers is uh, is incredibly sophisticated. Uh, you know our competition are good retailers. They're world class. They uh, the, the people who leave uh, leave uh, South African fashion retailers and go overseas generally do incredibly well. We've got 
very sophisticated, well-run South African retailers that we compete against, and now throw in some really sophisticated and aggressive, good international retailers that have entered the market. So it could not be a more competitive environment. So, you know, we're literally paddling upstream against every single factor. There's not one tailwind, and that's what makes it the challenge. So, uh, but regardless, we think we have a good strategy, and we, we're, we're, we're taking that head on, and we, we're seeing green shoots, and uh, I think... Uh, my sense is the competition are starting to watch us a lot more closely than maybe they did for the last while. They're very aware of our internal struggles and, and happy to jump on it. And I, I, my, my sense is we're starting to, to, to claw our way back. Because when you're in an environment, which uh, I repeat, most environments are like this now in, in the world we live in, that is just so difficult all the time. It just knocks you down and you start losing your passion easily. And you start out enjoying fashion or and then, and then you run into that value chain you know that value uh, it just gets so tough and to keep that passion up i guess your vision must be bold and you need to start seeing the the, the green offshoots and you need to start getting sh- you know, small wins and 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 there must be movement if there's no movement i, I just lose my passion eventually yeah no, no matter how passionate i was about it it just it goes yeah, look, and I, I, maybe I, I've got two two things uh, that that'll keep me energized and passionate. And one is I, I did have a a, a, a kind of ten year, nine ten year break from the from from the peril side of fashion, and and that's often where that tiring complexity exists. So I had a, I've come in really fresh, and really enjoying being back in that actually. Uh, and, and then the second is because you know there were so many things broken. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit, so you do feel that you can quite quickly start moving mm-hmm. that needle. And so you know sometimes it's a lot harder getting into a really well-run business at the top of its cycle. That can be harder to sustain than ones at the bottom of the, than when it's at the bottom of its cycle. So there's a there's often a lot of easy, quick wins that keep that energy and keep that momentum and allow one to build it. Interesting so point. So you're saying, take our organization where everything's going well. It's very difficult <laughs> to improve. And they're having problems yeah. uh, in terms of being competitive. That makes yeah, sense. Interesting view. Mm-hmm. Let's end off with state of leadership beyond Edgar's, your take on that as a leader leading thousands of people. you have any views on that? How are we doing? Presence change in the country. You've got global issues. All of those things ultimately come back to your business, to Edcon, to Edgar's. Um, it's not easy out there. Yeah, I, I think at the moment our perception has been overwhelmed by political leadership. Um, and, I, and I make that comment not just in a South African context. I think it's a global context. It's, a, it's quite concerning. You know, I think our, our leadership frailties over the last while in South Africa are well documented and I think uh, universally accepted as a real tough patch and a, and a low point. But... You know, I look more broadly to some of the leadership uh, in, in, in North America and, and Europe and the shift towards the right and, and nationalism is, is, is a concern. I, yes, I think that, that this political shift is, is, is overwhelming sentiment um, that one almost doesn't have a clear view of where uh, private equity and corporate leadership stands. Uh, my, my sense is that's in pretty good shape. I, I think it's creating an environment that people are having to, to, to really hone their, their private, private equity and corporate leadership. Um, and I think there's many organizations 
operating very successfully where there are some great examples of Mm. of good leadership. So I, I think it's a very segmented view. I think political leadership is, is concerning and, and, and not in a great cycle. But I think that's forcing uh, business to, 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 to sharpen their thinking. Yeah. Mike, thank you so much. We're at the end of the conversation. CEO of Edgar's Mike Elliott. You're at an auditorium. You've got 50,000 leaders of various corporate environments in front of you gosh what's the what's the one message you would give them that's a tough question <laughs> <laughs> the one message to an auditorium of, of, of leaders uh, I, I, I think I think the key for me is 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 plotting that course and and, and being committed and, and not letting anyone throw you off it I, I um, you know, in many in many respects, it hasn't come through in any of those uh, in any of the key points. But I, I think one's got to build a strategy, uh, and and once you once you're locked and loaded and believed, you've got to be able to to stay the course. And and so I think one needs to one needs to more than ever be able to do that because I, the world around us is. Is, is creating lots of noise and so one's got to pick that course and, and stick with it Michael Elliott, CEO of Edgars thank you for joining us um, that is our leadership masterclass for today look forward to being with you again next week as always, all the best everyone and multiply leaders, move society cheers this is cliffcentral.com